Amen. Matthew's Gospel, chapter 6, if you would find that's our opening text and will be the platform in which we go from this morning. Matthew's Gospel, chapter 6, verse 16 through 18. And so these are the words of Jesus. Moreover, when you fast, do not be like the hypocrites with a sad countenance, for they disfigure their faces, that they may appear to men to be fasting, assuredly or truly, I say to you, they have their reward. But you, I'm glad he, he changed the subject matter, but you, when you fast, anoint your head and wash your face so that you do not appear to men to be fasting, but to your Father who is in the secret place. And your Father who sees in secret will reward you openly. Motive matters to God. You know, there's some people that do things just to be seen by men, and that's the reward that they get. But the promise that God gives us is if we do what we do, talking about fasting specifically as unto him, then he'll take care of the reward. We don't have to go and, you know, position ourselves or prop ourselves up in a way that we receive any credit. God will take care of all of those matters for us. As a reminder... Hypocrisy is a a theatrical word in Scripture. It means to put on a mask. And so in those days, theater was a big form of entertainment. And you have all seen the mask, the happy face, the sad face, the disgruntled face, the joyful face. And that's the way the actors would portray their characters. But it was an outward mask. It wasn't an inward reflection of what was going on in that individual's heart. So God sees the heart, and he doesn't want us to just put a mask on and just go through the motions. He doesn't want us to do things in that manner. And I love this portion of Scripture because Jesus is setting things back in order. This is the Sermon on the Mount, and many times in this message, he is reminding God's people, you have heard that it's been said, but I say to you. What he's saying is, I've come to fulfill what you have heard has been said, and so I'm going to say something to you that matters more to God than what you've heard is said. Because I'm going to take care of what you've heard is said because you can't, and I'm going to give you something you can do because God is going to enable you to do it by his Spirit. And so what he's saying unto them is that when we give our service unto the Lord in fasting, that God is well pleased with that service. It's acceptable unto him. So I've entitled today's message, When You Fast. If this is the only instruction we had in the word of God about fasting, it's authoritative enough because of who gave it. Jesus gave it. But there are so many examples in Scripture of those that preceded us in times of seeking the Lord and waiting upon him and fasting. We think about Moses, Isaiah, Jeremiah, Ezekiel, Ezra, Nehemiah, Esther, Daniel, which we're going to reference here throughout our message, Jesus, the disciples, Paul, King David, and the list goes on and on and on of people who set aside time for the purpose of having a more intimate relationship with God. But it just goes beyond just the intimacy that's gained in this time of consecration and dedication known as fasting. It's also a time where God does some rearranging in our mind. Physical health can spring forth. Spiritual uh, sensitivity can grow and develop. So it's impacting us in every part of our being when we fast. It's one of these great disciplines that when you first get started, you wonder why you did. And then when you finish, 
you're ready to do it over and over again because of the blessings and the benefits that happen in our life. Now, any discipline when we first start to do it does not seem pleasing. Would you agree with that? It, it's not something that you just enter into sometimes with, with, you know, glee and joy. And sometimes it's just sort of, you know, dragging our feet into this. Uh, because it requires something of us. All disciplines require something from us and of us. But what God gives us back in light of what we give unto him, wow, it can't be compared. So let's just define a fast for a minute. It's to abstain from foods or certain foods for a period of time in order, what? To dedicate more time to seeking and waiting on the Lord. That may seem like something that, that is common knowledge, but there are people that when we think of fasting in our society, they just think of like for health purposes. They don't think of it in light of spiritual benefits or emotional benefits. They just think of it as, well, you know, I'm going to go on a water fast or I'm going to, you know, get away from certain foods. And, and because I know that, you know, they're, they're not healthy for me and, and I've had an excess of them and I need to get back to moderation. And in order to do that, sometimes if something is excessive in your life, you've got to go to another extreme just to bring it back to the middle. And and uh, and fasting really uh, can help us to sort of reset and reboot our life in many different ways. But uh, it, it also in fasting, we are reminded of God's sustaining power in our humble position before him. Uh, you know, in Matthew's gospel, he's quoting, uh, of course, the book of Deuteronomy, when Matthew said that man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. Of course, this is an account of Jesus in the wilderness, a time of, of fasting. And uh, he and he understood that he could be sustained by his heavenly father and by the word of God. And that that is an encouragement to us because Jesus is our example in all areas of life. And so, therefore, if Jesus fasted, we should fast. Now, I do want to say that some people... Uh, I, for those that maybe, you know, have very obsessive or compulsive personalities, uh, we're not calling you to uh, a 40-day fast where you abstain from food and water completely. Uh, there's two people in the Bible that mentions, uh, you know, had these kind of, of seasons with God. One was Moses, but you have to remember where Moses was and what was going on in the life of Moses at the time. And then Jesus himself but uh, I know very few. I know very, very few people that have ever gone on a 40-day fast. And, uh, and I don't think that there's specific instruction in the Word of God where that's the only fast that is acceptable. In the nation, uh, in the history of, of Israel, uh, they, they had the Day of Atonement, Yom Kippur. And every year of the Day of Atonement, it was a national day of fasting. And then they had these gatherings where there were national days of feasting. And there was a lot of food and, and a lot of, of uh, fellowship and a lot of camaraderie. And, and, and so uh, I, I don't want us to become legalistic. I, I don't want us to allow spiritual pride to enter into this season of fasting to where we compare ourselves with Jesus or Moses. I, I, I want us to do exactly what the Daniel fast is asking us to do, and that is I want us to consider putting away things that are sweet 
Now, for those that have a sweet tooth, and I have both hands and both feet, and if I could wiggle my ears, I, I would do that. I, I am in that category. But uh, the, the, the reasons that I want to honor the Lord in this way is because if you have a sweet tooth like me, you know it can determine your decisions more than you think it does. Or you could be unaware of how much it determines your decisions. And during this time, there's going to be some things we learn about our natural appetites and the impulsiveness of the flesh. And that can only help us to live a more consecrated life. So there's some biblical examples of reasons to fast. And I love these. Uh, During the times of national conflict, God's people gathered together to loose the bonds of wickedness, to undo heavy burdens, to set the oppressed free, uh, to break every yoke of bondage, to share our resources with others. And uh, when significant decisions needed to be made, people consecrated themselves and declared a fast. When it was time to commission and send out ministers, people fasted and prayed and sent people out. In stormy seasons of life, people sought the Lord and sought his wisdom and his counsel. But the the reference uh, that I want to, to use that's found in your notes is found in Mark's Gospel, chapter 9. And, and this is Jesus interacting with a father in regards to a son, and then also he pulls the disciples into this conversation. And we're going to begin in the 14th verse, it says, And when he came to the disciples, he saw a great multitude around them, and the scribes disputing with him. So it's a contentious environment. Immediately when they saw him, all the people were greatly amazed, and running to him, they greeted him. And he asked the scribes, What are you discussing with them? Then one of the crowd answered and said, Teacher, I brought you my son who has a mute spirit, and wherever it seizes him, it throws him down. He foams at the mouth, gnashes at his teeth, and he becomes rigid. So I spoke to your disciples that they should cast it out, but they could not. And he answered and he said to them, O faithless generation, how long shall I be with you? How long shall I bear with you? Bring him to me. Then they brought him to him, and when he saw him, immediately the spirit convulsed him, and he fell down. And he fell on the ground and wallowed, foaming at the mouth. So he asked his father, how long has this been happening to him? And he said, from childhood. And often he he has thrown him both into the fire and into the water to destroy him. But if you can do anything, have compassion on us and help us. And Jesus said to him, if you can believe, all things are possible to him who believes. Immediately the father of the child cried out and said with tears, Lord, I believe, help my unbelief. And when Jesus saw that the people came running together, he rebuked the unclean spirit, saying to it, Deaf and dumb spirit, I command you, come out of him and enter him no more. Then the spirit cried out, convulsed him greatly, and came out of him, and he became as one dead, so that many said, He is dead. But Jesus took him by the hand, lifted him up, and he arose. And when he had come into the house, his disciples asked him privately, Why could we not cast it out? And he said to them, this kind of spirit or this type of bondage can come out by nothing but by prayer and fasting. So we understand the scene. It was one of desperation for the father. The child was being grievously tormented. The disciples were called upon to minister unto him. And over and over and over again, they couldn't seem 
And to break the darkness off of this young man's life, Jesus enters into the scene and begins to assess the situation. So everyone begins to inquire and, and ask questions about him and the father and him begin to have this, this, this dialogue and conversation so that Jesus is brought up to the current set of circumstances. And Jesus recognizing that the crowd and the tension in the crowd is beginning to build ministered to the young man, commanded the spirit to depart, and the young man was ministered to, delivered, and completely set free. And then the disciples asked a question that all of us at times ask of the Lord, Lord, why couldn't we do this? What's keeping us? What's keeping us from having breakthrough? What's keeping us from helping others? Why does darkness seem to prevail over us? Why is it that there is not the victory that we're, we should be experiencing? And the, Jesus' answer is short and it's sweet. It's to the point and there's no shame or guilt with it. But in essence, what he's saying is, I pray and fast and you don't. When he's saying that in order to deal with darkness effectively, whether it's in somebody else's life or in your life, we have to set time aside to spend with the Lord. And all of us, to some degree or another, have some form of weakness or infirmity or affliction that at times seems to have control or power over us. And that power and that control can only be removed and eliminated And destroyed when we're, what, healthy spiritually. The disciples were not condemned. They were not judged. They were just instructed. And then, I believe, they took that instruction to heart and they began to understand the benefits and the blessings of fasting. And what fasting really produces and what it really does. So as we continue to look at our notes today, when we fast, this is what we're going to discover. We're going to discover how much the flesh is dictating our daily decisions. You and I are going to become aware of how much we think about food. We think about it much more than what we maybe would like to admit. We plan for it, we shop for it, we prepare for it. We cook it, we eat it, and then we start thinking about the next time we're going to do it. When we get done with breakfast, we start thinking about lunch. When we're done with lunch, we get, we start to begin to think about dinner. And so during this time and this season of fasting, we're going to take a page from Daniel. Daniel was in a season where the people of God were being oppressed. They were in captivity. They were in a foreign land and his heart was heavy and he was given instruction that he had to eat a certain type of food every single day in Daniel chapter 1 and he abstained from that food and from the choice wine that came from the king. And he asked to be tested by the principal of the school at the end of 10 days after eating vegetables and water. He was much healthier and he was much wiser. As a matter of fact, it was recognizable how much smarter he was, ten times wiser. Could it be that we overeat or we overconsume to the point that it's unhealthy for us 
and it slows down our ability to process and think properly. Could it be that there are toxins that are in our body and they're determining when we eat and how much we eat and why we eat them? Could it be that certain things we're putting into our body have more of a grip and more of a calling power upon us than what we're willing to admit? And in fasting, we recognize that. All of a sudden, we realize, you know, wow, my body hurts. It may hurt initially. My head doesn't feel quite right. Lay hands on yourself and ask for the healing touch of God. Maybe it's a time where you, you know, sort of reflect and you say, God, forgive me for being such a carnivore. Forgive me for being consumed by the carnal and the temporal and not being as sensitive and aware to the eternal and the spiritual. Forgive me for just being a carnal Christian, for just thinking about the things of the flesh, the appetites of the flesh, the desires of the flesh, more than I think about you. If you find yourself in that position, then you're in a good place to experience the blessing and the benefits of the Lord. This is not in your notes, but if you want to know another definition for fasting, it's synonymous with dying. How does that really come across our spiritual palate? I mean, it's because if you don't eat or you don't drink for a certain period of time, then you're not going to live. And you may feel initially like, I don't know that I can do this. I don't know that I want to do this. I don't even know that I like what pastor's talking about right now. And I can identify with all of the above. We're in this together, okay? But if we're going to have more of the activity of the Spirit in our life and we're going to be more sensitive to His activity and we're going to have a clearer head and not so much filled with fog, brain fog or any other kind of fog, and if your body is going to spring forth and experience more health, then this is something that you'll be glad that you did. Initially, you know, if I take away what? And I can't take it away, but I said, if you put it down, if you put down anything with caffeine, anything, all your pop and all of the the sugar-based drinks, and you've been doing that consistently for a period of time, you're going to have a physical reaction to it. So let me give you another practical step. If you haven't started preparing for this fast, do not go cold turkey tomorrow. Don't go cold turkey because it, it, you're going to get so discouraged and you're, you're, and, and it, it just won't be good. So work into it over the next few days as we begin. If, if you're someone that has five or six cups of coffee a, a day and it's, it's all, you know, highly caffeinated, I mean, begin to sort of wean yourself off, off of that. By the end of this first week, maybe just be drinking water. Or decaf coffee in the morning. If you're a person that has four to six, uh, uh, you know, uh, uh, beverages a day, like uh, a soda pop or something like that, uh, uh, you know, if you have a Snickers and a candy bar every day at 10 o'clock for five years, what happens every day at, 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 at 10 o'clock? You want a Snickers and a candy bar. So when you, you know, push away from those things, there's going to be some some pushback to you, and I don't know if I said that. Right. A soda and a candy bar. Yeah, soda and a candy bar. Yeah, Snickers, Snickers and a candy bar. I'm getting rid of brain fog right now. 
Yes, yes. Oh, mercy. Fasting is how we crucify the flesh and become aware of God's power and the power of his spirit. Uh, Paul reminds us of that in Romans chapter 8, Romans the 8th chapter, and we're going to begin in the 12th verse. Read down through the 17th verse. He says, Therefore, brethren, we are debtors, not to the flesh, to live according to the flesh. So, so there, there's, so you don't owe your flesh anything. Now, your flesh will say that just the opposite message. That, But he says in verse 13, But if you live according to the flesh, you're going to die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you're going to live. And that's part of the mystery of, of godliness is that when you actually crucify the flesh, through, for the purposes of becoming healthy spiritually, then you're going to experience life on the other side of your own death to yourself or death to the impulsive natures of the flesh. Verse 14, for as many as are led by the Spirit of God, these are the sons of God. And we love that verse and we teach about that verse as far as God leading us. But what is God's Spirit leading us to do? He's leading us to put away the appetites of the flesh and to choose to walk in the Spirit. Verse 15, uh, for you did not receive the spirit of bondage again to fear, but you received the spirit of adoption by whom we cry out, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are the children of God. And if children, then heirs, heirs of God and join heirs with Christ. If indeed we suffer with him, that we may also be glorified together. What is the suffering that he's talking about here? The suffering is that you put away and I put away the things of the flesh so that we can become more in tune with the things of the spirit. The promise is, is that you're going to encounter the life and the resurrection of God himself. I love this. It says the spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are the children of God. Do you know that that is such a powerful revelation for each and every one of us to have of knowing who you are? that you are the children of God, if you feel like you're an outsider, fasting will make you know that you're not an outsider, you're an insider. Because when you begin to spend time with the Lord and you abstain from certain foods and drinks, a revelation of who you really are is going to become a reality to you. That you are now, what, a child, an heir, an heir of God, and a joint heir with Christ. That's going to become something that changes the way that you live because you're going to know who you are. You're not just a person here to consume food and to work a nine to five and to mow your yard and to change the oil in your car. You are here and you are here on assignment by God and you need to know who you are. And when we fast and when we become stronger spiritually, we're able to help others because we ourselves are confident in God. So when we fast, we become more aware of God's redemptive work and what he's done to bring us into his family, that we are his very own offspring and he's our heavenly father. You become more acquainted with him. You become more intimate with him. Okay, when we fast... Our natural appetites, desires, and schedules are put in their proper place. They all become subject to God and his kingdom. And that's what Luke is talking about. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. So when we're fasting, we're getting aligned. It's like having a spiritual adjustment. It also impacts us spiritually, emotionally, 
and physically, as we've already discovered. Daniel, when he fasted, not only was he more sensitive to God, he could hear and he could interpret the king's dreams and he could give good counsel to others because he was aware of the spirit's activity. But he was also, I mean, used in marvelous ways to encourage his own countrymen and to see the glory of God manifested in a foreign land where he was captivity. He was still living under the blessing and the provision of God. Now, here's something that's very, very important. Fasting does not, nor will it ever change God. God does not change. God is in the business of what? Changing us. He's the same. He never changes. Therefore, fasting impacts our life, influences us, transforms us. This is the great joy that comes on the other side of our obedience. When we first start to obey and bring this discipline into our life, there doesn't seem to be much pleasant about it until it works its way all the way into our spirit, our soul, and our body. And at the end, we're saying, to God be the glory. To God be the glory. Fasting should be something that we do often. I would encourage you after this season of fasting, would you consider as a practical way of just having a more vibrant relationship with the Lord, would you consider, you know, once a week, Missing a meal. If that's something that works in your schedule, would you consider that? Would you consider maybe a couple times a week? And just taking that time that you would be having lunch or preparing lunch and cleaning up after lunch, just to spend worshiping the Lord, spending time in prayer, spending time in His Word. Let me share one of the things that's going to happen if this isn't something that you do consistently. Initially, you're going to think about 10 other things that you need to be doing and other things that you believe or your brain is going to tell you or your flesh is going to tell you are more beneficial and a better use of time than what you're currently doing. And don't forget this factor. The devil isn't going to like this. And so he's going to throw his two cents into the mix and tell you that this may have worked for Daniel or Moses or Jesus and Esther, but you're none of those people. And this won't impact your life at all. And I want to remind you that when you fast, you're going to become more aware of the fatherhood of God, of you being his beloved children, and that you're an heir and join heir. And with that truth, becoming more of a revelation and more of a part of who you are, you will be able to tell the enemy, that's enough. That's not true. Because you'll know who you are and you'll know exactly how much God values you. You cannot and I cannot spend time with God without being changed. It's just going to happen. It just takes place. And all of us need that. We all need a reboot. We all need a spiritual alignment at times. And fasting does that. I want to read out of Isaiah 58. Isaiah 58 in the latter portion of this particular chapter. uh, The prophet begins to declare to the people of God the benefits and the blessings that come 
when someone fasts, when someone seeks the Lord properly. And he's already covered in this particular chapter the things that we shouldn't do when we fast as well as the things that we should do. And the things that we should do are already in your outline for you to go and read because I want you to do some reading. I want you to do some discovering through your own digging and getting into the Word of God. I want you to see the joy of what comes off the pages and comes alive before you. But let's look at what Isaiah said to the people of God. Once they've made the adjustments in their life, they've, they've you know, moved away from being, being and, and doing things to be seen by men, and they've started doing it as unto the Lord. In verse 8, he says, Then your light shall break forth uh, like the morning, your healing shall spring forth speedily, and your righteousness shall go before you. The glory of the Lord shall be your rear guard. Then when you call, the Lord will answer, and when you cry, he will say, Here I am. If you take away the yoke from your midst, the pointing of your finger, the speaking of wickedness, if you extend your soul to the hungry and satisfy and satisfy the afflicted soul, then your light shall dawn in the darkness and your darkness shall be as the noonday. The Lord will guide you continually and satisfy your soul in drought and strengthen your bones and you shall be like a watered garden and like a spring of water whose water does not fail. Those from from among you shall build the old waste places and you shall raise up the foundations of many generations and you shall be called the repairer of the breach, the restorer of streets to dwell in. Now, there's just a ton there to consider and to ponder and to think about. And I pray that you would take a few minutes when you're struggling in the initial beginnings of this fast. And when your body is screaming at you and when your head is pounding potentially and when the enemy is saying that you're not worthy and it will work for everybody but you, I want you to open up Isaiah 58 and I want you to see what this is going to produce. Because that will keep you on course. That will keep you going forward. That will coach you right back into faith. And just keep going. Now, I do want to say this. That the more water you consume, the better that it is. Drink as much water as you can. And you're going to say, well, I already go to the bathroom enough. I know you're going to probably go a little bit more. Just stay close to the bathroom. You're going to be fine. Let's break this down as we're about to finish into some things that are valid and good questions. What about the workplace? The workplace, of course, is, is, uh, can, uh, you can you can take your own meals. Hopefully, uh, some of you are, are able to do that. If you get uh, a half hour for lunch, uh, maybe you skip lunch altogether and you just get a big bottle of water or a bag of nuts or some dried fruit or something along those lines, and you just go find a quiet place or you stay at your own workstation and you read your Bible and maybe you put on some praise and worship music and plug in and listen to some praise and worship music. You know, to get your day started, to get your day started, maybe, you know, there's just a a brand new way that you begin your day instead of just running to the coffee pot and, you know, getting it going and having your first uh, cup of coffee. And many people have programmable 
uh, coffee makers now, and so the coffee's already there when they get up, and they just, you know, pour their cup. Maybe you just set that aside, and you go find a quiet place in your home, and you start your day with just thanking the Lord for his faithfulness and committing your time and your day and your talents and everything that you have into his hands. So there's, in the evening time, closing out the day, seeking the Lord and thanking him through the course of of that day, how he strengthened you and helped you. Maybe he helped you with a problem that was at work and you found a solution and he gave you wisdom and insight and instruction. Be careful to give him the thanks for that. Some of you, uh, I understand your diet is going to be modified and that's understandable that as a result of that, you're going to have to go down different aisles in the grocery store. But, uh, you know, that's going to be okay. You're going to survive. I, I'm going to say this as a reminder is for, for, for some, it, it is not going to be uh, as near as challenging or near as difficult as it is maybe for others. But I'm not doing this or I'm not asking us to do this as a result of trying to, you know, see how tough you are or, or see what you can put up with. I, I'm saying that in the course of this, if there's some times where you need to have something to help you to keep going forward, there's no shame, no condemnation, and no judgment whatsoever. Just keep working through the process. Just keep growing. Just keep on course, and you're going to be glad that you did. All right. Um, a personal testimony. The first time that I fasted, I was uh, 13, and uh, our pastor had talked about it, and he had invited us to join uh, as a congregation on a three-day fast. And he set a date, and we all prepared. And as we entered into this, you know, I, I had no idea what to expect, honestly. I mean, I'm 13 years old, and spiritual things are new to me, and I've just gotten saved and filled with the spirit and I'm just newly baptized. I'm in the church. And so there's just a lot of new for me. And I didn't, I didn't understand because everything was so new to me. I didn't understand that the church had really hadn't been practicing or hadn't been, you know, a part having this, uh, this discipline, a part of their lives, uh, some of them for many, many, many years. And so I want to stop first of all and say that you know, in in one way, I, I'm somewhat embarrassed and and somewhat uh, uh, saddened that we haven't I haven't you know been reminding you and encouraging you to fast more often, because that was the instruction that that Paul had. He said, "I I fast often, I fast often," and uh, there were reasons why he did, and and we can see the results that it produced. I mean, Paul was a man mightily used by God, signs, wonders, miracles. And, uh, but there were reasons why, and it wasn't because God loved Paul more. Fasting doesn't make God love us more. Fasting helps us to experience the love of God more. Because when you become aware of who you are and who He is and that you're His own and you're His beloved, Something breaks in us. The pride breaks. The desire to be seen breaks. 
and humility and contrition and gratitude begin to express themselves. So I went into this as a 13-year-old just wet behind the ears, and I came out of it realizing this. There's a whole lot more of Doug that needs to die than what I realized. The Doug's probably in charge of too much of his time, his thinking, his agenda, his motives. And all of that, boy, did I become aware of it. Because when I had to put him and others ahead of myself, I discovered how selfish, how self-centered, how shallow, how carnal I was. But in the moment that all of that was going on, I became of how aware of how good, how merciful, how gracious, how patient, how kind, how loving that he was. And that was the greater truth. My mom could tell me, Doug, you're a punk. You're just a spoiled brat. You're this. And I would be like, all right, I'll take the trash out next week. I'm sorry. But then it became a reality to me that, Doug, you really are a work in progress. And there's construction that God needs to do in your life. So let him do it. And that's my prayer is that we would all participate. We would all experience the blessing of the Lord. And we would all come out of this with a more intimate relationship with him. Thank you for listening to today's message. We hope that it encouraged or inspired you to God's best. If you have any questions about today's message, need prayer, or would like to learn more about Living Word Fellowship, please call 641-828-7119 or visit us at lwfknoxville.com.